Hey there. Welcome back to the Thoughts on Selling podcast. I'm your host, Lee Levitt. Through conversations with fellow sales leaders, sales enablement, and operations executives, and experts in sales performance, together we explore how to improve enterprise sales productivity. This is the beginning of the conversation. I invite you to take one or two interesting tidbits from the conversation with our guest, talk them through with your team, and take one specific step to improve your sales productivity. Then let me know how it goes. I want to hear what you learned, the actions you took, and the results you generated. You can find show notes, past podcasts, and a contact form at podcast.thoughtsonselling.com. And here's an opportunity. If you feel that something is getting in your way of being a more successful salesperson or manager, engaging a coach might help you to achieve more of your sales and personal goals. I've coached individual salespeople, sales managers, and company principals over the years, helping them to break through to higher performance and personal satisfaction. I have a couple of individual coaching slots opening up in early 2024. To learn more about how coaching can help you to be even more successful, please visit accelerogroup.com meet to schedule an initial conversation. And be sure to ask about our no-risk guarantee. I look forward to talking to you. And now, on to the conversation. Welcome back to the podcast. It's my absolute pleasure today to have Lisa Skillern with me as my special guest. Lisa and I have worked together in enablement. She brings a strategic perspective to enablement and some specific expertise in the security side of the world. Lisa, tell us a little bit about yourself. First, I want to say that the pop-up on this window says actual recording will be higher quality. I certainly hope so. I hope I can contribute some quality to the podcast. We have AI come in and fix all of that stuff. No worries. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I have a really crazy, wild, wide background. I actually started off on the engineering side of the house in tech years ago and moved my way over to the sales side of the house. I did marketing for a while. I did enablement before I even knew that that was what it was called. Built battle cards. It was called sales training or sales support. And I think you already glossed uh, over yeah. this. You carried a bag at one point, right? I, I did. I was just going to get to that. I actually sold for a while. I sold so long ago that we literally used hammers and chisels on cave walls to get our contracts done. I kid, but only a little bit. We used to do contracts by fax. And I walked business parks with business cards and collected them back so that I could give my leads to my sales manager and prove that I had actually worked that day because there weren't wide databases and we didn't have robocalling and all of that stuff and the metrics for number of calls and number of dials and leads converted and all those kinds of fancy things back then. I have absolutely carried a bag. The good old days when sales actually involved hard work it was definitely tough love and Glengarry Glen Ross back then too. Coffee was for closers and I will never forget my first boss coming up to me and asking me if I was sick because I was still in my chair at eight o'clock. I hadn't left to go to wherever I was prospecting that day. And sales and, meetings uh, were at 7 a.m. on Fridays or at 8 a.m. on Saturdays. No meetings during selling hours. They were at 7 a.m. every day. Every day. You had to recap the previous day and get kneecapped if you had had a bad day and literally get the, what have you done for me lately? If you had a good day, <laughs> that was yesterday. What are you going to do today? You know? And today it's all so, about social uh, selling, which is just click on a LinkedIn link and hope that someone might respond. Social selling. It's also, I think a more prescriptive sales cycle. 
We have always heard that whole throw enough mud on the wall, it'll stick. That's true to an extent. But when you graduate to enterprise sales, you better be doing something better than throwing mud because customers don't respond to that kind of tactic anymore. They don't like FUD. You're still doing FUD 1990 called and they want their sales tactics back. It's a more partnered sale. People are looking for expertise, a prescription for what is going to cure their illness in the business. They really want value. They are not looking for features and functions. They are looking to be sold a comprehensive solution. I think that's what differs from the days when I was hobbling around the business park in my high heels. Let's move to the other side of the table. You, you moved from sales a long time ago to mm-hmm. what we used to call sales support or sales training, and, <laughs> and, the, and you moved into enablement. And yeah, you and I, I both did. worked in large companies. We won't mention mm-hmm. any names, but they were Google and Oracle, among others, yep. where we had influence without authority. Yes. Influence without authority is, if you look it up, is one of the key contributors to stress, not coincidentally. In the enablement role, you are definitely an influencer. You are trying to convert anywhere between 10 and 10,000 sales reps to your way of thinking. You are ostensibly the person who knows how to do this and are trying to feed them tactics that are going to make them successful out in the field. What is always in the back of my mind is that I can come up with a great plan. I can be spot on in my webinars, in my training videos, and the sales rep can always look at me and say, whatever, crazy lady, I'm not doing that. I have to begin my own sales cycle right there. Make sure that the rep understands what's in it for him or her, understands what's in it for the customer, why we're doing it this way really do that initial sales pitch before I get into whatever it is I want them to go and pitch. Because if that value prop isn't clear to you, it's not gonna be clear to them. They have 75 million other things they can go and do. Like you said earlier, they can do their own renegade LinkedIn campaign. They can get on the phones. They can do whatever they want. That leads to fragmented messaging to customers who are confused because chances are if you're at a bigger company, another rep's going to come in behind you tomorrow and call the same customer with a different pitch, maybe different pricing. And the customer goes, what are you talking about? The guy yesterday said I could get this for 10 bucks. You're trying to charge me 1250. I don't understand. You really need to make sure that that's clear because if that's not clear, you're not ready to talk to the reps. Lisa, I'll ask this question. What's your goal in enablement? How do you define enablement and what's your goal? Enablement is getting the reps to do something all at the same time and in the same direction. It's kind of like being a boatswain. You have to get everybody rowing in the same direction. You want them to do it at the time you want them to do it. We always use the cliche hearts and minds. And that's really what enablement is about. It's, it's hearts and minds to get a rep to go and do a specific thing that you want them to do. If it's an awareness campaign, you want them to call their entire account list and say, we got this new thing coming out. Be sure you're watching for it. Or come to this great webinar that we're sponsoring. Or come to this convention in Las Vegas next month. Whatever the case may be, you want those reps to accomplish whatever task it is you're trying to do in your campaign. 
there was a time when enablement was here's some nice collateral for you. We're going to have a seminar on what this new campaign is. And then it was be gone, right? And I'm going to go work and figure out what the next quarter's campaign is going to be while you're out doing whatever this quarter's campaign is. I don't think that that's the most effective enablement position these days. And a lot of commodity type selling, where you're just selling more servers or more storage or whatever, that's really straightforward. In much of enterprise mm -hmm. selling, hundreds or thousands of salespeople and you want them all to take the same actions because one, you believe those are the correct actions. And two, if they're doing similar things, you can measure them and then make modifications accordingly. Towards the upper end, when you're talking about a key account director that is doing a lot of co-creation, 12 to 18 to 24 month sales cycle involvement, it's different. I agree with you. It largely is about behavior modification. We understand the right path. And by the way, the salesperson wants that fastest path to revenue to commission as well. We don't make the sales path. That direction has come from someone else. And that's why it's important to have stakeholders all over the place. One of the first things I do when I start a new position is look at my stakeholders. Not to get too into the weeds, but Mr. Rogers was right. Look for the helpers. It's the same way in enablement because you are this influencer. You're pulling in all kinds of expertise. You're pulling in technical expertise who may have exactly the right thing to say, but they have no idea how to say it to a sales audience who is bored out of their ever-loving minds. You may have marketing people who are really high concept and very light on details. And that just doesn't work when you're going to a customer. A customer wants to know, what is it I am exactly buying? I'm not buying a tagline. I'm not going to install a tagline. Deloitte is not going to get half a million bucks to come in and install a tagline. What are we selling? It's pulling all of those things together that is key to all of this. And I try to make sure that part of that is, why are we doing this? You want someone higher up on the food chain. You know, if you can get a VP of sales or a VP of strategy, somebody like that to say, we looked at the market. This is what we decided. That's really important. Sales reps want to know. Why are we going in this direction? It helps them get into their mindset as well. What is the motivation for my character? Well, same thing with sales. They want to know what their motivation is. Why are we selling this? And it's not just money. So it's interesting you said that. So one, a lot of salespeople look at us as trainers, deliverers of content. They don't necessarily expect that we're going to have that mindset, that context for selling. And so it's helpful to bring in a senior executive from the organization Second, let's explore a little bit more about stakeholders. I've seen you do this incredibly mm -hmm. well. I had the fortune of turning over the security organization to you to support. I thought I had done a pretty good job with them over the course of the year, and they were sad to see me go. And 20 minutes later, they were asking you, Lee Levitt, who? <laughs> they had completely <laughs> forgotten about me. You have, I saw you have a demonstrated ability to manage relationships with stakeholders that is very powerful in a way that you were in the boat with them and they wanted you in that boat. And, it was not just a one-way situation either. And I'm happy that you use that metaphor because that's exactly what I say to my stakeholders. We're all in the boat together. I cannot succeed without them and they cannot succeed without me. If you have met all of your KPIs and I helped you do it, I'm happy. If I meet all of my KPIs, but you didn't succeed, then I actually failed. 
That's one of those things about enablement. You cannot win unless everybody else wins too. Going back to that influence without authority piece, Mm -hmm. your prime job is to make everyone else successful. And it's to make the tech people successful, come in and do their presentation and get across sometimes really incredibly difficult technical conversations and boil them down. It takes work and it takes meeting with your experts and saying, give it to me in 10 sentences. That was great. Give it to me in five sentences. That was great. Give it to me in two sentences. When you get to that point, they're on to you. They know what you're doing. You are helping them because nobody else makes them do that. And I think that that's a really important skill. That's what brings credibility to your experts and gives you that buy-in from your stakeholders. My stakeholders would literally lay down their capes and let me walk across the river on them because they know that I am willing to make them shine always. By the way, for the listeners, she's not making that up. I've seen it happen. (laughs) Two questions. The second one is, and you've already started to go down that path of subject matter expert versus Mm -hmm. enablement process expert. Before we go there, I want to ask you this question, Lisa. When you've got a key stakeholder, a a VP or a senior VP, who believes that something should be done a certain way in enablement, everybody knows marketing, right? Everybody's a marketing expert. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks they're a training expert too, an enablement expert, and they're not. They just aren't. So how do you address the situation where your key stakeholder, a senior executive, has a perspective that needs to be tweaked? Vodka. No, I'm kidding. Most VPs that I've worked with, with very few exceptions, are open-minded. They really want to hear what you think about what it is you're trying to pitch. Very few people think that they are perfect and need no input from others. For the most part, people will be willing to, if you can be tactful. They already know you're in the boat with them. Yeah, but if you can be factual about it, right? Mm -hmm. You need to be able to support your point of view. You can't just go in there and say, well, I think that sucks. Right. If you've demonstrated good intent and you show them, we've done it this way for a number of years or or a number of these processes, and here's the result we've gotten. We've seen it go the other way and we haven't gotten the same results. What would you prefer to do? (laughs) I also use peer pressure a lot too. Sam did it this way. Tom did it this way. Are you really sure, Mary, that you want to go a different way? It's going to look very out of place with compared to the other presentations. Do that a lot when it comes to things like sales kickoffs. Everybody wants to have an avant-garde presentation because, as we know, these, these sessions are notoriously boring. You've got the 1.30 slot right after lunch on the, about the third or fourth day. Nobody's going to remember a thing you said. That rubber chicken keeps everyone awake. <laughs> Well, I haven't had rubber chicken, but I've had a lot of really bad salads lately. I get it to an extent. Everybody wants to stand out, but there's standing out and then there is being apart from something else. When you are setting yourself apart like that, it's a huge risk for one thing. The other thing too is it just doesn't always hang together well. And so most people I know will take coaching. The other thing too, you just have to fight your battle. You have to pick your battles to fight. If you have a person who is dead set on doing a crappy presentation, sometimes you just got to roll with it. I have had people who say, this is the presentation I'm comfortable giving. All right. Right. I got to let you do it. I have to respect your input. And then 
I have to know that, you know, down the line, I will have to do a lot of follow-ups because it's not, not going to be memorable or something else, you know? So there's always amelioration. Knock yourself out. We'll fix it later. Yep, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> it. Most of what we do in enablement is not about presentations, right? It's about the follow-up to a message that a VP has provided. They set the path as sales enablement Sherpas, we do a lot of collecting the oxygen bottles and planning the route and picking up the ropes and packing up the tents and pushing, carrying, cajoling the rock stars up the mountain. You and I have had numerous conversations about this subject matter expert versus process expert. I don't know which comes first, the chicken or the egg on this one. I think you have to be a process expert. You have to really know what good enablement looks like. And that is absolutely generic. And then in specialty areas, at least, and maybe in, in lots of other areas as well. And in my experience, security is one of the specialty areas. If you don't come in knowing security, you don't have the street creds to have conversations with those product managers or the specialty salespeople who go, wait, where are your chops? I'm with you on that. Let's talk a little bit more about that process versus subject matter. I'm with you to an extent on that. I have yet to see a really good process in sales enablement, even at the big companies you mentioned earlier. I've seen some really good enablement and I've seen some things that were not very well planned. In my experience, cookie cutter enablement doesn't work. Here are the 16 things that make a successful enablement session. Now, that might work for your 16 things, but my 16 things are gonna be way different because my salespeople are way different, my topic is way different, the compensation is way different, the customers are way different. I understand the need to be scalable, but scaling at an inefficient goal is at the cost of inefficiency is not a good thing. What you are putting out there is crap. There is no point in scaling crap. I'm gonna take that process expert and push that back on you a little bit because I've seen really good enablement. I've seen really bad enablement. I think that's something that you have to establish on your own terms. This is great. I think this is our first bar fight on the podcast. <laughs> I was wondering when it would break out. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, will you do me a favor? Will you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people to find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. We're actually not in disagreement. I completely agree with yeah. you. We don't. We do not want to scale crap. We do, mm -hmm. however, want to remember that things like gamification works, or things like you know, sure. provi providing action plans at the end of a, an account planning workshop work. So when I talk right. about a process expert, I don't mean let's take a cookie cutter from selling servers and take it into professional services. Yep. What I am saying is, we are people, people, and we need to understand what motivates people. And based on what we're doing and the, and the outcomes we're looking to achieve, how we motivate people to do things will vary quite widely. The core understanding of what makes people tick and how we can influence that, that's kind of what I'm thinking about from a process standpoint. And that I definitely agree with. And Yay, like, like we were fight. speaking. <laughs> Let's go back to axe throwing. <laughs> like, yeah. Like we were talking about earlier, if you have not established your own value prop for the value prop, then you're not ready to go. As far as being a subject matter expert, I think that that, again, is, is situational as well. I have sold some things that I had no idea how they worked because they were middleware, incredibly techy, ticky-tack things that 
frankly, you know, like six people in the company understand how they work. And if those six people ever vanish, we're all in deep. But uh, middleware is important. It allows you to check your balance at the ATM in in San Francisco (laughs) or in New York at the same time. And I don't mean to diss middleware. It is important. You're right. I think feeling like you are a PhD on all the things that you sell is misguided. Then you might be a product manager. Might as well be a product manager. (laughs) At our last company, I had 72 products I was responsible for. There's no way I can be a subject matter expert on all of them. But what the difference is, is I know who the subject matter experts are for every single one of them. And I say, here, go talk to them. Or I go talk to them and get the answer for them more likely. So maybe domain expertise is a better way of describing it. You have domain expertise in security. I have domain expertise in data management and analytics. And so when I joined Google, I focused on databases and data management because that was my domain expertise. And when I picked up security, I was uncomfortable because I knew security was important and I didn't have that domain expertise. Right. And I think that that's exactly what it is. Domain expertise. And again, it's knowing your place to a certain extent. I am never going to go in and compare bona fides with one of my solutions managers or my VP of development. Some of whom had PhDs. Yes. And I mean, literally in 15 seconds, I would be exposed to the charlatan. Let's just not even try that. But you're right. Having the background and having the ability to have those conversations. You know, I, I mean, I compare it similar to the sales reps. Nobody wants to be on a sales call where they're terrified of asking a question because they're going to get a question back and not know the answer to it. There's nothing right. more embarrassing than looking like you don't know what you're talking about. You might get the benefit of the doubt one time on a call with your sales reps when you're doing enablement and not know what you're talking about, you'll get that once. The second time you don't know what you're talking about, they will tune you out forevermore. I've been in that situation and it's horrible and you might as well start looking for a new job because you are not going to resurrect that one easily. Right, so I think on the upside, when we keep our stakeholders' language of value in mind, Mm -hmm. we can be successful. So when you're working with a product manager, what do they care about? They care about getting more of their products sold. They care about more mind share with the sales organization. And the salespeople care about not looking like idiots in front of their customer. What do salespeople care about? They care about looking good in front of their customer, creating opportunities and moving opportunities forward. We go in and say, we can help you to be more successful with your customer and not compete with them, right? Because we aren't the professional salespeople that they are. You and I both carry the bag. We're not salespeople in that situation. That's what works for me. That leads to credibility with those sales reps because you're not competing with them. You're a trusted advisor. You are the trusted advisor to the trusted advisors. Again, you are the go-to person. Hey, I had a question. A customer asked me a question about how this product does X. Okay, you need a product manager or you need a developer, or you need a solutions manager or somebody else to meet with the customer, not meet with you because we're not gonna play a big game of telephone. Why don't you get your customer on the phone and I will arrange to get somebody else to support you on that call. And once you do that, the reps learn that you will help them assist, not get in their way, you know? And that's really key. Once that happens, word of mouth tends to get around. Reps will tell other reps, oh, she's helpful, or oh, he knows what he's talking about. 
suddenly attendance on your workshops is going up. You are able to respond to emails. People reach out to you for things that, and you really feel like you're helpful, you know, I mean, and, contributing. and yeah, and, and it's sort of strategic, right? You're, you're trying to win hearts and minds, but it's a long con, right? This isn't a short-term ROI. It's one it's, heart it, at it a time. It takes a while. Yes, it is one heart at a time. And if you've got 10,000 sales reps, as you and I have had at times, that takes a while. You'll get there. You really will. Yeah. Sometimes it's easier. When I was at News Corp many, many years ago, I had 10 salespeople. At Phase Forward, I had 25 salespeople. And it's so yep. much easier to work with that number than with 10,000 because you get to know them better. By the way, the leverage is higher in that larger organizations. I'm going to pose this two-part question to you. When you are looking at an existing sales enablement organization, how do you evaluate that organization's strengths? How do you evaluate that organization's challenges? What do you look for as clues as to how well that's working and what needs to be bolstered? Honestly, I don't look at the org itself. I look at the people that they support. It's more helpful to speak to a sales leader. It's more helpful to speak to a sales rep or to a sales engineer, mm. somebody who can actually give you feedback on the support that they're getting from that org. I generally ask for an interview with one of those people, with the supporting cast, so that I can specifically ask questions like that. What's the one thing you don't have today that you wish you did? And that usually gets into gaps in coverage. Oh gosh, you know what would be so great is if we had a video series on how to do XYZ kind of demos, or I would really like content library that I can actually figure out. This is part of your yeah. discovery process to determine the, the right. health of the organization. You're looking for those stakeholder input. Mm-hmm. I also look for cohesiveness in the org. I was on a call recently and the entire team was on. I appreciated that because I could actually tell that they got along and they actually liked each other. That doesn't always happen. You can tell a lot by body language on a Zoom call or some kind of video conference. If people have their cameras off constantly, there's a good chance they're rolling their eyes. I know because I've been that person cohesiveness in an organization is important, particularly if you're looking at a small team. You and I just came from a very big team where the cohesiveness didn't necessarily happen. We were only in the same place once in 18 months, and that was sure happenstance. Cohesiveness is one of those things that has to be built over time. There wasn't a lot of it because we were constantly shifting our priorities and goals. That's how I evaluate it. Now, the other stuff is just table stakes. You know, do we have enough assets? Do we have enough videos? Are we doing workshops with regularity? All of those kinds of things. Those are things that can be added over time. What you cannot build instantaneously is culture. And if the culture is not there, I'll probably take a pass on it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to now ask you the second question. And this is a question I just recently asked uh, Liz Police, who's another rock star in sales enablement. <laughs> Uh-oh, so, I don't want to follow in Liz's shoes. Too late. You have your own big shoes that you filled. So you're in the helicopter with Bear Grylls. All of a sudden, you're parachuting down into an organization, and Bear is going to go off and catch a bunch of wild salmon for dinner. It's your job to join the sales enablement organization. What are the first three things that you do when you hit the ground? 
The first thing I do is a listening tour. I want to know everything that we've done so far, how we've done it, why we did it that way, what were the lessons learned. And I do that not only with my sales enablement colleagues, but I do it with, again, the stakeholders. Who are we supporting? What's their opinion of sales enablement? What are they getting out of it? I do it with sales leadership because a lot of times I've found that sales leadership gives you quote unquote buy-in where yes, we support sales enablement, but no, we're not going to send an email out to our teams telling them they have to attend your seminar. That's not support. If they really believe in sales enablement, not only will they tell their people to be on the call, they'll be on the call too. That's Mm -hmm. support from your sales leadership. And the third thing I do is my stakeholders. You have to have support from the wider organization or you're not going to make it. Figuring out who those key people are and establishing relationships with them. They're the kind of people that when you are up against it and a sales leader says, hey, Friday, I'd like to do a call on blah, blah. Everybody will say, you know what? I'm already busy on Friday at that time, but I'll do it anyway. I will move this other thing so that I can come and talk to your salespeople. The goal, if sales enablement works right, the goals are all the same, right? Like you said earlier, product managers want to sell more products and they want mind share of the salespeople. Salespeople want to sell more products and they want to know what they're talking about. Sales leadership wants to sell more products because that's how they make their KPIs and get their bonuses. Ostensibly, we're all trying to do the same thing. And if that's the case, then sales enablement is really, really easy. So, no, it's not. When is it ever that perfect, though? When is everybody all swimming in the same direction? Come on, Lisa. This is not a recruiting seminar. (laughs) We're not recruiting people to sales enablement. We're helping existing sales enablement professionals to improve their... I have worked in some sales orgs where sales enablement really is that easy. What gets hard is when you start layering in all of the politics and all of the people who want to do it this way, even though everyone knows it should be done that way. All of those kinds of things. Once you get into the interpersonal stuff and you get into the political stuff, that's when sales enablement gets hard. I had a VP of marketing once ask me, I want you to help me prove that the sales organization isn't doing its job. And my response to her was, it's my job to help them do their job. Marketing and sales can't be in each other's necks. They can't, it doesn't, nobody moves forward when that's the case. And again, that's interpersonal and it's political. When those two things are afoot, it's not going to go well. Yeah. Stay tuned, folks. We're going to have a sales enablement blooper reel coming out real soon. Let's talk about the salesperson. I think most salespeople are on content overload. How do we avoid that and get them the useful content that allows them to create new opportunities and move opportunities forward? What's the right balance between just the right amount and way too much? We need to stop paying product marketing people by the word. Clearly, that's what's happening. Kidding. I'm totally kidding. I love the product marketing people. Honestly, they make my lives easier. With some guidance. I have worked in organizations where there has been no content and that leaves you out there tap dancing. Content overload is far preferable to that, but you're right. It is a problem. The most effective content management that I have seen has been to organize a group of assets by their appropriateness in the sales funnel. You Mm -hmm. have your top of the funnel sales assets, Here's who we are. If you've never heard of us, here's what we do. If you've never heard of us, here's what our products do. 
That's introductional stuff that you send the first time. Dear Mr. Customer, hi, I'm your new rep. If this is a Greenfield account, here's what we do. If you're a Brownfield account, hi, Mr. Customer, I'm your new sales rep. We'd love to get on your calendar to talk about what you already own and how we can help you enhance your business. I'm totally riffing here, so please don't send those emails out. Those are the kinds of things you like to think about, right? And I like to give reps a choice in those categories. Once you have sent an asset out, it used to frustrate me intensely at the big red company we used to work for. They would say, oh, send out a, a key asset for the week. No, because most of my reps, because it was a very long sales cycle, 18 months, if we were lucky, the reps had already sent that asset. It's burned. They're not going to keep sending the same asset over and over and over again. So really what you want to do is say, hey, here are some assets that work if you're trying to educate your customer. Here are some assets that work if you're trying to convince your customer. Here are some assets that work if you're trying to close your customer. (laughs) Beyond those categories, I don't think you need a whole lot more. Because every customer is going to fall somewhere in that inform, convince, close. When you try and get more stylistic around those, I think it just makes it harder for the reps. It makes it noise for the customers. Everybody just gives up and says, you know what? Never mind. I'm moving on. This is just too hard. So Lisa, I think that's really valuable input. I think we've come to a good place to wrap We've covered a lot. Mm-hmm. You and I have spent many, many hours talking about various challenges and opportunities in sales enablement. And I think we've given the listening audience a taste. Any final messages from your perspective? Again, just really making sure that you understand the value prop to your salespeople and understand how to use your key stakeholders. Sales enablement can be really, really easy. It does not have to be hard. When you introduce the personalities and the politics that it gets hard. I think that pretty much covers everything. I'm going to agree to disagree with you on sales enablement being easy. I think that if we're talking (laughs) about complex products, cloud-based or SaaS or similar, we're talking about change management with customers. We're talking about change management with salespeople. We're talking about change management with our internal stakeholders of product management Mm -hmm. and product marketing and, and others. I don't think it's ever going to be easy. We are talking about changing people's perspectives on things. The nuts and bolts are easy. Getting the right content into a content management system is easy. I know I've cut and pasted more than a few documents. The people management is the key part to success. I don't know. I guess I'm lucky. I don't find that difficult. I find that really fun and really easy. So, so yes. And <laughs> what you find easy, other people think is magical. That's I the definition that. of I magic. hope I'm not fooling myself there. I jotted down two key takeaways. You covered mm-hmm. one. We we together just covered one, the stakeholder management. And the other mm-hmm. was our bar fight over subject matter versus domain expert. And I think we resolved mm-hmm. that one. We did too. I think that's a win. Not many fisticuffs involved. <laughs> so Lisa, thank you as always for the partnership. And that's a wrap. Another great deep dive into the topic of sales performance improvement. I like to end a session with specific actions. So remember, please take one or two interesting tidbits from this conversation, talk them through with your team, and take one specific step to improve your sales productivity, and let me know how it goes. We'd love your feedback on the podcast, and I'd really appreciate it if you would recommend this podcast to one or two coworkers. You can find show notes, past podcasts, and a contact form at podcast.thoughtsonselling.com. Thanks for listening.